for hello everyone. Uh, this is data driven Formula One with Patrick Hansen Gana Begrebna. Hi, Patrick. Hello, Gana. Hello, all. So today we are uh, we're discussing 1981 season. Yep, slowly continuing in the 80s. Yeah, with uh, quite spectacular races uh, this season. So um, indeed, yeah, looking indeed. Season in a nutshell, uh, first of all, we have some uh, updates. So first of all, the champion was the first to be run under the new uh, FIA Formula One championship name. And this replaced uh, both the World Championship of Drivers and the International Cup of uh, Constructors. So now officially it's the FIA Formula One World Championship uh, quite as it's today. So you may say that with the 1980s, also with the change in politics, uh, we are entering like the modern uh, age of Formula One. Also now teams were uh, now required to lodge uh, entries for the whole championship. So it's not that you can start at some single races, maybe just the home Grand Prix to do some marketing, but now you have to compromise really for the whole uh, year. And if not, there would be high fines uh, on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I and think also I, yes. Yeah, I think also uh, it's it's probably important to mention that uh, uh, you know if if we look at sort of the the data science of uh, Formula One, we start seeing uh, regulations that are being uh, enforced by FIA from 1980s, and uh, certainly um, you know they shaped. Uh, the way uh, the cars look, uh, you know, the, there are engine regulations, there are safety regulations, and um, yeah, so, so quite a big, quite a big change for the sport overall. Yep, that's correct. And also a new now the fear uh, sets the price money for all races, so it's not that anymore as before, as the uh, price money comes uh, from the organizer of the uh, weekend's uh, race event. That's right, uh, but uh, you know it's also important to to understand that uh, well, even though the budgets of the teams are not observable, a lot uh, hinges on participation and uh, advertisement uh, revenues. So, mm -hmm. um, so the 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 prize money as the prize money is substantial, of course, but uh, yeah. it's probably not much compared to the advertisement uh, revenues that the, the teams are getting. So uh, that's also something that we need to keep in mind. It, yes, and uh, including that for the smaller teams, uh, the drivers, uh, they bring in money. It's not that they're getting paid by the teams. That's right. Not, not this we already had, uh, I think, since the beginning of the sport. The season, in a nutshell, we see a lot of different uh, names. So you may uh, or maybe not uh, conclude who will be the champion at the end of this year, because we see winning drivers, Alan Jones, Carlos Reutemann, Nelson Piquet, Gilles Villeneuve, Alan Prost, John Watson, and uh, Jack Lafitte. So a lot of different names. And this will be quite exciting. Yes, yes, that's right. Well, let's find out <laughs> who won. <laughs> yes, correct. Or the same also for the constructors, as you see on the right. Um, 
interesting uh, here, and we will come to this uh, shortly also later again. Uh, with uh, Ferrari and uh, Toolman Hart, we have two additional teams uh, who switched uh, to the turbo engine. Season, well, the topics uh, already began uh, before the first uh, weekend. Uh, Lotus as a team, which we discussed a lot over the time, always uh, introduced uh, uh, new technical concepts, ideas, mostly related aerodynamics. And also this was the case uh, this time. They developed a twin chassis, meaning that a chassis inside the chassis to uh, maximize the airflow. The Lotus 88 uh, designed by uh, Colin Chapman and Margin Ogeweil. Unfortunately, uh, FIA said, uh, based on protests by other teams, that this uh, construction uh, wasn't uh, legal. So the Lotus 88 uh, was not allowed to start, and uh, Lotus had to use the older and convention conventional Lotus 81. And with this, unfortunately, didn't uh, play a role in the 1981 championship. Yeah, that's right. We have a, a special on Colin Chapman where we also discuss this this issue. And yeah, um, yeah so, um, you know, we kind of talked about all ups and downs of uh, of Lotus in that in that episode. So check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, and uh, yeah, certainly, I mean, uh, again, coming back to the start of today's episode, uh, you have seen that um, you know, we, we have now fear regulations, and this is an example how fear regulations really affected the outcome of the season. So, you know, if uh, if it's a no-go in, in terms of uh, design or, um, uh, you know, cons construction of the, of the car, then obviously you couldn't participate and uh, had to go with a, a different model, perhaps inferior model and uh, suboptimal to what you wanted. Mm -hmm. And with this uh, US, USA, this time uh, the beginning of the new year, uh, Long Beach, uh, California, uh, victories for the two Williams drivers, uh, number one, uh, Alan Jones, and then followed by Carlos Reutemann, e, uh, Nelson uh, Piquet with uh, the uh, Brabham on the uh, third uh, position. Yeah, overall, uh, as you can see, uh, Williams kind of continued its, uh, uh, its, its good run with Alan Jones, uh, who won the yeah. previous season. So, yeah, it's kind of to be expected. And uh, the usual suspects, <laughs> the usual three suspects uh, in the first race, yeah. except uh, at the end of 1980, we had uh, Alan Johnson, Nelson Piquet, then Carlos Reutemann. But here you have kind of a, a different uh, sort of reshuffle of the same top three drivers. Indeed. We stay uh, in the Americas. Now we are going uh, south uh, to uh, Rio de Janeiro. No, sorry, at Chaca Perica. I'm not completely sure if this is uh, Sao Paulo again, uh, but anyway, same people on the first uh, two positions, only uh, switching positions. Now we have a victory, a victory for Argentinian Carlos uh, Reutemann. Then uh, 
Alan Jones and uh, Ricardo Patrese. Uh, here started, uh, let's say, uh, the uh, quite uh, toxic uh, relation between uh, Reutemann and uh, Jones, which may or may not have had an effect also on the outcome of the championship. Uh, Carlos Reutemann uh, won uh, the race, but uh, he did so by ignoring uh, pit signals to give up the lead uh, to his uh, teammate. And he, of, let's say, more or less the official number one, uh, Alan Jones. And due to this, uh, um, Jones only went uh, second and uh, not really turned out as a good loser in this situation, meant he didn't went to the podium afterwards, uh, which is uh, also a requirement by FIA regulations. So I would assume he received a fine for not showing up at the podium after the race. Yeah, uh, I just also want to remind everyone that we do have an episode on toxic uh, toxic relationships um, yeah. where we discuss quite a few of uh, kind of similar actually situations, yeah. not uh, not quite to the extent that someone didn't show up to the to, to the to the podium at the end, but uh, certainly ignoring team uh, yeah. uh, orders uh, is was was very very common. <laughs> theme in that episode so do check it out if you have a chance yeah but of course i mean it's un somehow understandable the behavior i mean uh, carlos reutemann um, it wasn't his home race but in, in south america and also already having such team orders in the second race it's a little bit uh, strange from the from the williams side yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. And Argentina. Again, we have uh, Nelson Piquet and Carlos Reutemann with Alan Prost and the third. And uh, yeah, quite a big, uh, quite a big race for Alan Prost, right? Who this was his first podium in. Uh, yes, in first Formula. podium for for Alan Prost, and I'm sure he will have some more over the years. Uh, also, on the other hand, uh, last uh, Grand Prix uh, for uh, home Grand Prix for, um, uh, sorry, uh, last Grand Prix in general uh, in Argentina until 95. Uh, it is also as Carlos Reutemann uh, will um, retire after the year. I mean, he, he, uh, he would retire, well, he retired, Shortly, he took back his decision, started next year for Williams again, but after, I think, the first race retired again. So practically, he retired after the season. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, San Marino. San Marino, uh, um, Frank um, Enzo and Dino Ferrari, uh, so San Marino, as uh, I'm sure everybody is aware of, very small country inside Italy. And due to this, the San Marino Grand Prix is in Italy, uh, in Imola, uh, which also, of course, is somehow a gift for the uh, Tifosi to have let, practically two Grand Prix in uh, Italy. And this was the first time for the San Marino Grand Prix, which should stay in the calendar for many, many years. Also, we see here the debut of Michele Alboreto. Results uh, quite similar, victory here for Nelson Piquet. Then we see Ricardo Patrese and uh, third position 
Carlos Reutemann. Und wenn ihr uns auf YouTube schaut, könnt ihr sehen, die Foto von Michael Boretto mit dem Marlboro. Mit dem Marlboro Branding. Und ja, wir müssen warnen, dass in den 1980s, 1990s, ihr seht viel Tabak-Advertisement, nicht nur auf Cars, sondern auch during this, uh, you know, the kind of the, um, the, the ceremonies, right? So we, we basically will see a lot of logos of uh, tobacco companies also on driver's gear. And uh, yeah, you should just prepare yourselves for that if, you, if yeah. you're watching us on, on YouTube. Exactly. And on the other hand, uh, if you're more interested on the uh, impact of Big Tobacco, we have uh, two special uh, episodes uh, regarding Big Tobacco and Formula One. Even if we both uh, are not smoking, we not support uh, smoking as it's bad for your health. As most studies uh, show you, uh, of course, we have to analyze that the financial impact uh, on Formula One uh, was uh, very relevant. And I think without a big tobacco in the 80s, uh, before and after uh, Formula One wouldn't be there where it is uh, right at the moment. Yes, exactly. So we, we do discuss the impact of big tobacco, but just uh, again, as a, as a warning site, if you are Uh, non-smoker and uh, absolutely cannot stand uh, uh, tobacco logos, you, you will see quite a lot of them in 80s and 90s. So something to be aware of. And, uh, then uh, we go to uh, Zolder, uh, a small and unfortunately uh, quite uh, dangerous uh, racetrack. Uh, we had here two uh, serious uh, incidents, uh, both times um, involved uh, mechanics. Uh, first one uh, in the uh, Friday practice, a mechanic uh, of the Osella team uh, was unfortunately um, walking inside the, um, in the pit lane. And uh, here was uh, hit uh, by uh, Carlos Reutemann in the Williams who didn't saw uh, him Uh, on time due to this couldn't uh, break and uh, unfortunately hit him and uh, based uh, on this uh, this uh, mechanic uh, died uh, later uh, as i've just uh, mentioned carlos reutemann retired after uh, this year so besides this toxic uh, relation inside the williams team i would assume also this had an uh, impact on him and on uh, this decision um, also, we had a, um, a strike here by the mechanics, uh, where also it was joined by some uh, of the drivers like Childenev, Alan Prost, Jack Lafitte and uh, Didi Pironi, uh, who left uh, the cars. But nevertheless, uh, the, ra the race uh, started on Sunday. And here uh, we had another accident uh, with a mechanic. Uh, here it was unfortunately uh, Dave Luckett who was uh, still working on uh, Ricardo Patrese's car as, uh, he could, as Patrese could not uh, restart um, the engine. Uh, for the case that you followed uh, Formula One already live on the 80s, 90s, you may remember uh, in this decade, it was quite common that 
drivers couldn't start uh, the engine uh, shortly before the race, so they raised their hand and practically it, it happened in every race uh, I remember, so this was uh, quite common uh, these days. Um, so what happened, uh, he was working behind Pirot in his car, again an, uh, another driver, in this case uh, Siegfried uh, Stor with, with the arrows, didn't uh, saw uh, him still working and uh, crashed behind it. Uh, he suffered, uh, Luckett suffered a broken leg, uh, but he survived uh, this accident. But nevertheless, uh, regulations had been uh, changed that due to this, uh, mechanics uh, hadn't been allowed uh, working at um, the cars uh, within 15 seconds of the formation lap. Again, if you remember Formula One in these times, uh, you, you remember uh, all the mechanics running away from the cars back to the pits to really to work until the last moment of the car before the 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, well, generally, I just wanted to make a note about uh, Belgium. Belgium tends to be a very interesting race in most years because it rains. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. uh, well, it, it rains very often, let's just say. Yes. And um, and um, it's always a good uh, uh, competition between not only the drivers uh, and, uh, um, and, and the engineering team, but also the decision, decision science team who are trying to figure out when it's going to rain, which tires to put on the car and when. And uh, yeah, so it's always a, a, a very exciting uh, event for for many teams, so the Belgian Grand Prix. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and with this, uh, again, uh, Carlos Reutemann, so he had quite a run uh, in the beginning of 1981. Then we see uh, Jacques Lafitte and a name which uh, you may have heard before, Nigel Menzel. Monaco. Uh, I mean, we have, uh, if you watch us on YouTube, we have a very short note about this race uh, on mm-hmm. the screen. But actually, it's uh, one of the most spectacular races of uh, yeah. 1991 with Gilles Verneuve. It's, uh, I think, um, in many uh, uh, TV programs, uh, when they show footage of uh, uh, kind of historical footage of Formula One, you almost, I, I guarantee you that if you've seen any historical kind of uh, montage of, uh, uh, of Formula One, you've seen uh, moments from this race. Um, and I really encourage you to, to find the race itself and, and watch it. So we like, uh, I, I constantly repeat for people who haven't uh, listened to us before that this is meant to be a, like our uh, our episodes are meant to be a podcast, so we sh- to show you some video material for this, but we only show you something that we can share ethically and legally. Uh, so, but if you want to see this race, it's uh, yeah, go to the to the Formula One official FIA Formula One channel and have a look at the footage. Uh, so, um, why is this race? Uh, so spectacular! It's basically very cool, uh, um, uh, kind of very cool uh, 
point at which uh, Gilles Villeneuve kind of showed his uh, his all might, <laughs> as uh, the, his uh, his uh, nickname was the Aviator. If you if you didn't yeah. know, so he was uh, quite a um, uh, uh, quite a uh, like animal spirit, <laughs> quite a wild driver uh, in yeah. Formula One, and uh, this race was very. Uh, uh, on a, on a personal note, very important for him because right before the race, he found out that he was his contract at Ferrari was extended and he was confirmed for the following two seasons. And yep. it was a big deal. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, he drove, I think, that really inspired him to drive really, really well. And it's an absolutely spectacular race. So you need to really see, uh, see it. And as we have uh, no noted here, and if you're watching us on YouTube on the slide, this was also a first victory for uh, a modern turbo engine at Monte yeah. Carlo. And um, it's just such a fantastic, spectacular race with twists and turns and, you know, people overtaking each other and finally Zhilvenev uh, coming uh, at the top mm -hmm. of this uh, whole competition. So it's absolutely fantastic and uh, do have a look at it. So if it's kind of formula, classical Formula One at its best, really. That's uh, right. Uh, so if you want to watch it, I know the uh, on the Formula One service, they have an archive of many classic races. I don't know if this particular one is included, but due to the importance, uh, I may um, imagine. Yes, yeah, so certainly. Yeah, you can definitely watch uh, kind of the the short version uh, yeah. at the at the official fear fear on Formula One channel. I believe Ferrari has it uh, in some form on their channel, and yes. um, uh, uh, you know. But but uh, yeah, we we do encourage you to to have a look at the whole race because you know it, it's one yeah. it's one thing to see snapshots and like I said, you probably have seen them even if you don't realize, but um, it's important really to watch this race in full. It's it's really spectacular. Exactly. And so Chilvenev uh, really had a run, motivated uh, to the renewal of his contract. And so also in Spain, a victory for him. Second, uh, Chuck Lafitte and then uh, John Watson. And uh, he had been at uh, Yarama and this was the last time we had been racing Formula One in uh, Jarama, Spain. Right, so French Grand Prix. <laughs> and yes. here we see, you know, uh, the, the first victory for Alan Prost. So quite a, quite a big season for him, uh, considering, yeah. you know, the first podium, the first win. Um, and uh, obviously we will be talking about Alan Prost a lot. Uh, um in in the in the following episodes um you know this will be a name that you will hear a lot um and um yeah so so definitely one of the uh, uh one of the highlights in his career uh, this french grand prix correct and uh, then we come to a silverstone uh, victory for john watson Again, a second uh, important point for Carlos Reutemann, third position, Jack, uh, Jack Lafitte, uh, <coughs> two important uh, notes. It was the first victory for uh, <coughs> the carbon fiber composite uh, monocoque, 
uh, with the McLaren. Uh, it wasn't the first construction because especially the Lotus 88, which had been set as uh, not complying with regulations, would have been the first carbon fiber, but the car never raced. So this, uh, let's say this non-official title, first monocoque victory goes uh, to uh, McLaren. And very important, of course, uh, first point for Slim uh, Burgard and the German RTS team. Why is, uh, I must, I'm sure uh, many know uh, the backstory uh, here. Uh, Slim Burgard was uh, one of the studio dramas uh, for ABBA, which you see on the right. And uh, due to this, uh, his car was also uh, sponsored this year by ABBA. So you see on the left and on the right, the big uh, ABBA uh, logos. Um, uh, using that opportunity, I want to mention, if you are having a Spotify, we have a data-driven uh, mixtape there. In various episodes, uh, we mentioned uh, some songs uh, which have been inspired by the, the direct occasions by uh, drivers. So uh, if you also want to listen uh, to data driven, here are the songs which we sometimes mention. So just look for data driven uh, F1 in Spotify. You should get uh, two findings. One is the audio, sorry, one is the video version of this podcast, but also there's the data driven F1 mixtape with the different uh, music which includes then, of course, also uh, one song by ABBA. Brilliant. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's something that, that that definitely should do. All right. Yep. Um, yeah, and um, as uh, at this point, I also should probably uh, remind you to... Um, to do the, the the usual YouTube things, if you're watching us on YouTube, to subscribe and uh, yep. and um, press the bell if you want to be notified of future episodes. Um, so uh, this is a good point to 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 for you to do this. All right. Yeah. So we're now going to the usual kind of run: Germany, Austria, and Netherlands. And uh, yep. again, quite. Uh, quite a lot of uh, uh, familiar names there, spe specifically Nelson Piquet, we can see in, in yeah. every, on, on each podium, uh, in, uh, he was first in, in Germany, he was yeah. uh, third in Austria, and he was second in the Netherlands. Um, and, uh, exactly. Aust and Austrian Grand Prix was quite a, quite a big, um, uh, Big event uh, for the Fittipaldi team. Uh, like we, we've been making a lot of jokes about Fittipaldi team. Although, although yeah. I, like I said before, Emerson Fittipaldi is one of my favorite drivers of yeah. all time. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think I still think that that's it's correct that you shouldn't uh, be in business with your family. <laughs> and, uh, yep. As soon as he. He joined his brother in Team Fittipaldi. It kind of went south for him, and uh, to the extent that in Austria Grand Prix in 1981 they couldn't even participate because they uh, basically lost uh, the engines, and uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it wasn't. Um, yeah, they couldn't basically technically do it. Yep. Yes. 
that's right. And uh, another highlight each year, of course, uh, Monza in the north of Italy. Yeah, well, the typical names, uh, Alan Prost, uh, second, Alan Jones, and number three, Carlos Reutemann. So again, important points for the two Williams drivers. It's the first time uh, the tournament team uh, qualified uh, for the race. And uh, again, uh, we have uh, Siegfried uh, Stor. He crashed uh, heavily during the qualifying session. And uh, he still was with the trauma of hitting the mechanic Dave Luckett. And uh, due to this, he decided uh, to stop uh, or finish his racing career at the end of the year. And uh, then started with a quite uh, successful motor racing academy. Yeah, Canada, another very cool place to race. Um, yeah. Um, a lot of times we have rain <laughs> in this uh, in this in this Grand Prix, and uh, to the extent that. Um, I remember some uh, some of the races in uh, kind of in at the beginning of the 21st century in 2000s when we had races where basically you couldn't see much yeah. <laughs> and uh, some races yeah. were very very long. But but in any case, um, yeah. So this was a very interesting race because if you if you again if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see that it was raining. It was quite a big uh, yeah definitely. Um, quite a quite a big deal, um, and um, yeah. So so Jacques Lafitte was absolutely fantastic with his driving. So again, one of the highlights of the season, uh, this race. And if you have a chance to watch it, I also want to encourage you to do it. It's uh, also very exciting, uh, exciting race. Um, again, historical race and. Uh, in, in Formula One championship. And um, at this point, it was basically like the, the end of the intrigue, at least in the, uh, in, in the constructor championship, because Williams uh, came on top. And uh, um, at this point, uh, we also heard from Alan Jones that he is going to retire. Exactly. <clears throat> well, uh... Just to uh, add to the statistics, uh, this was the last victory for Jacques Lafitte, also the last victory for Ligier for a long, long, long time, until 1996. And uh, interesting uh, rumors, uh, Niki Lauda should have tested for the McLaren team. Yeah, and uh, it's it's amazing how Niki Lauda lasted so many years and, uh, you know, basically... After everything that happened, uh, he just kind of kept going and going and going. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, we we yet have to do a special one about him, but I'm really looking forward to, to this. <laughs> I think um, that would be an interesting uh, episode. Correct. We still have uh, some time, as maybe he will return. And uh, so, but there will be definitely a special about Niki Lauda. Yeah, because uh, I think um, uh, so personally for me, my experience in Formula One was uh, mostly watching uh, RTL, which was a German <laughs> German coverage of Formula One. Yeah. And uh, Niki Lauda was always present there. So it, it, in every single episode, he was commenting on uh, on something. 
Exactly, and uh, later on he became the official co comment commentator, uh, not directly commentating the race itself, but analyzing uh, the race, the race incidents. And as you know, Niki Lauda uh, always very uh, direct, um, often not very polite, uh, but uh, very precise, very direct. So always great uh, to listen uh, to his analysis. Yeah, and very, very, very data driven. If we have uh, one data driven right. driver, that's uh, that's definitely Nikki Lauda. Okay, so I think uh, this is I, it's it's my mistake. Uh, it's actually we on the screen we have Watkins Glen. It's not correct. It's actually Caesar Palace in um, in Las Vegas. Oh, uh, so that that year. Um, I just uh, remember very vividly that race. Uh, it was definitely in October. I don't remember the exact date, but it was in October 1981. Um, so the the run of the of the drivers is correct. It's John Jones in the first place, Prost in the second, and Giacomelli in the third place. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, but the the race happened that year in Las Vegas. Uh, and it was a Caesar Palace race. Um, again, very interesting race, and it's not every year that we have a, a race in Las Vegas. So again, something yeah. to something to watch. Even though at that point, you know, it was pretty uh, pretty clear who the winner was, and um, you know, again, uh, very very cool race. And um, Alan Jones uh, came on top. Uh, uh, so it was kind of a highlight for his retirement <laughs> plan right. to win this last race that he, where he participated for Williams. Yep. This is the first we will have a look on the uh, technology. Constructors Championship, as we already uh, mentioned, uh, goes to the Williams Ford. Then we have uh, Brabham Ford with a quite uh, big uh, gap. Uh, this may be also be because uh, Brabham focused, I think, on just one driver in opposite uh, to Williams, where we had this rivalry between Reitemann and uh, Jones. Then uh, the um, Turbo um, Renault, the Talbot Matra, and uh, Ferrari first time with the uh, Turbo engine slowly uh, coming out of the crisis. Um, McLaren Ford also slowly uh, coming uh, back. Lotus Ford with the problem, uh, which we uh, analyzed the old car. Then Eros Ford, uh, Alfa Romeo, Tyrrell Ford, Ensign Ford, Theodore Ford, ATS Ford uh, with one point, as we already analyzed. And zero points, unfortunately, with uh, March Ford, Fittibaldi Ford, Osella Ford and the turbo engine uh, Tourman Hart. So again, we have a interesting, uh, a lot of different uh, engines inside um, the sport. We have a three liter V8, the winning engine for Williams, Brabham, etc. We have the 1.56 turbo has been used uh, by, uh, by Renault, similar as Ferrari in opposite uh, to uh, the hard engine, which only have been uh, four cylinder. And uh, we have a 
still a classic uh, V12 uh, coming from French company Matra and um, Alfa Romeo. Yeah, that's right. And I just, I just want to remind you that, um, uh, you know, when Patrick and I, when we discussed uh, uh, Formula One championships just a, just a few years ago, in fact, almost uh, every uh, constructor used to Ford engines. And you yeah. can see uh, how how that changed, uh, so how dynamic uh, the sport is. Um, yeah. In uh, 1981, we already have six uh, different uh, options uh, that uh, teams are using instead of basically everybody using Ford, 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 apart from Ferrari yeah. <laughs> that was kind of using using its own engine. Yeah. So, that's that's certainly again added this additional thrill to this whole championship because you could have different makes and um and not only for the cars themselves but also in engine construction uh it was a big breakthrough and uh, we had different uh, players who were competing against each other yep and again this is the williams fw 7 c the winning car with the classic uh, Leyland uh, Saudi uh, airline uh, design. Yeah, very pretty. I, I just really like yes. it. It's a very elegant car in white. That's that's right. And uh, is they uh, practically white uh, with the also a British uh, Tyrell Ford, uh, the Tyrell. Uh, Zero eleven. Uh, yeah, also, it kind of it kind of reminds me of the like nineteen fifties Maserati by the looks of it. Uh, but of course, you know, it's obviously modern nineteen eighties car. But kind of like yeah. uh, if you remember when we discussed nineteen nineteen fifties, it's kind of uh, pay, I think paying respects to the, those designs. Yeah. That's right. Always, uh, besides Lotus, also uh, always this interesting uh, designs. Uh, the Brabham team, uh, the BT49C. Uh, Brabham uh, also uh, quite iconic uh, with the Italian uh, Parmalat uh, sponsorship. So the typical white and dark uh, blue. Yeah. Design kind of this rocket-shaped uh, car. Right. <laughs> Yeah, very cute, um, and again also very very sleek and uh, a lot of white uh, on it as well. That's that's right. The design which they had practically for various uh, years. Yeah, but um, I just want to remind you, and I think um, uh, Patrick and I did a special episode on uh, livery when we kind of dis yeah. described a different color. Well, not only uh, white color is the cheapest, it's also the lightest. So when you put more yep. kind of a different... Uh, so in order to, to, to paint uh, um, a Formula One car, you first put uh, you first paint it white and then on top of it, you can put some other color. So actually, if you have a white car, that is quite a lot lighter than, than you know, a car in a different color. So th there is not only like uh, aesthetic, uh, and yeah. uh, uh, kind of branding reason for having this color, but also technical reason. Uh, it really helps uh, 
uh, you know, just uh, you know, just just having the white car compared to say red or blue or you know black uh, helps uh, on uh, you know on 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 the circuit. Yeah. Correct. And in this case, uh, it helped uh, having Parmalat as the sponsor because the colors are this dark blue and a lot of uh, white. Why a lot of white? Because it's a dairy company, so they're selling uh, a lot of milk uh, products. So worked perfectly with the sponsor. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. McLaren. And in, yep, uh, McLaren. in uh, again, uh, very... Uh, familiar orangey Mal orangey red and white uh, with marlboro branding yep and a lot of white again yeah yeah yep. and, uh, the car will slowly uh, help the, the team uh, coming back uh, on track of course also um, attracting uh, talented drivers as alan prost maybe uh, mickey lauder so uh, the, the beginning, let's say, of, of uh, a return back to success for the McLaren team. That's right. And um, I think many of, many of you who, um, who follow the history of Formula One remember this, uh, this design and this car. Yeah, right. Yeah, ATS. Awesome. Uh, yeah, very yeah. good. Actually, I do like uh, this car. Uh, it's uh, well, in terms of, you know, I think in terms of aerodynamics, it was quite an interesting design. Not obviously yeah. not very successful on the circuit, but it, it is an interesting thought. I think the reason why it kind of was uh, it really kind of tanked uh, in uh, um, in in races was because it's kind of this more of a, like more of an American style design, yeah. right? For the straight, uh, for for straight circuits and not so much for curvy circuits. But uh, uh, certainly, really cute uh, mustard color and uh, you know, uh, looking different compared to the sort of white whitish yeah. um, uh, uh, dominant. Uh, color on, on, on circuits in that season. So HDS1, uh, this is the model that we're talking about. And uh, um, I, I did see it uh, several times in various museums and it's, it's, a cute, yeah. it's a cute car. Yeah, unfortunately not very successful, but there are many yeah. reasons for that. There are also engine problems and stability problems there. That, that's correct. And uh, by the way, the car behind, this is not a Toyota, so we not changed uh, history. Uh, uh, Toyota only had been a sponsor. There was no Toyota engine in the eighties, at least. Yeah, Toyota actually is a very interesting case when we, we will have Toyota in Formula yeah. One and we will discuss it. And uh, um, one of the coolest uh, things about that team was that they ran by far the largest budgets in formula one but yeah. uh, um, and this is again a story that you can have a lot of money put into the car and still not win the championship so yeah. um it, it's also about the speed of decision making so when we get to discuss toyota we will actually talk about this you know why 
uh, it wasn't in the end successful despite the huge budgets. Because I, I hear it very often when people argue, oh, you know, Ferrari kind of is, is on top or someone else like Mercedes is on top uh, simply yeah. because they have large budgets. That's not correct. I mean, it helps to have yeah. a large budget, don't get me wrong, but it's not uh, actually yeah. buying you the victory. Lotus. Uh, that's correct. Yep, Lotus in the typical John Player special black gold uh, livery. Unfortunately, last year's car and uh, due to this, not really a competitive uh, team in 1981. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, they had to kind of change back to the previous model and uh, yeah. Um, but at least uh, it looked different again in terms of uh, the branding and, and colors. Right. That's that's true. And uh, coming back to uh, more uh, yellow, but this year yellow with a lot of white for the various reasons, as we discussed a little bit of black. The typical designed into the typical Renault logo, the Renault R30, as we see it here. Uh, for various years, uh, Renault uh, is uh, continuing with the turbo engine, which they pioneered in Formula One, which since 81 now gets uh, copied by uh, Ferrari and by Toolman. And they will follow others in the, in the various years, but uh, they're holding on and they're becoming um, stronger and stronger. Yeah, and um, uh, you can you can tell uh, uh, that Renault is looking quite different from everything else that we've seen. So uh, again, yeah. if you're watching us on YouTube, you can immediately see the differences. Yep. Next team, uh, the Alfa Romeo 179B with the huge three-liter 12-cylinder engine. Yeah, uh, probably was quite a yeah. difficult uh, um, uh, job to tell it apart from uh, McLaren uh, because the colors are almost the same, but of course the shape is different. Yeah, so kind of if you're yes. looking... If you're looking from the side, probably wouldn't uh, make a lot of difference. But uh, yeah, if you're looking up front, you would be able to see it. Yeah, if, if you are watching as well, please uh, consider think uh, how you watched races in the 1980s. Uh, the quality of uh, TV wasn't as today. Um, also, uh, TVs, I think, have been much smaller, uh, so it I assume if you're watching the race from home, it was indeed very difficult to distinguish the teams which both had Marlboro as their main sponsor. And uh, also consider beginning of the 80s, a lot of TVs uh, still had been uh, black and white. So let's say maybe in the normal family, the big family TV in the living room was uh, color, but let's say, uh, in the uh, children's rooms, uh, if they had a TV, this may have been uh, black and white. That's right. Well, I still remember a uh, TV in uh, in my parents' house in the kitchen, which was like really yeah. tiny and uh, black and white. Right. Um, yeah, maybe the size of uh, today's uh, laptop. Uh, I think smaller even, but um, yeah, right, so now we, we're looking at Ligier. 
uh, uh, JS17. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see it. Um, again, typical uh, 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 typical Jitan delivery again with cigarettes, uh, cigarette advertisement, yep. uh, and in blue and white as usual for Correct. like an all the typical all French uh, team. And from blue to red, uh, the Ferrari 126 uh, CK, uh, the company's. Uh, the team's first uh, turbo engine, which helped them uh, getting out of the crisis, which had uh, been, I think, the lowest point last year with the T5, uh, who really was far, far away from the speed. So uh, now this uh, became uh, much uh, better and also gave two victories to Jill Villeneuve. Yes, and notice how it's uh, looking different from, uh, you know, the, yeah. the other cars again, uh, Renault and uh, Ferrari looking uh, really different, uh, you know, if you consider the turbo engine and uh, basically the outlook of the car is then completely different. Yeah, much more edgy in comparison to, for example, the Eros A3 as we see it uh, here. Yeah, that's right. And that's the last car we can show you. We cannot show you uh, all cars because we don't have uh, photos uh, where we have the rights from all the teams, especially a lot of the smaller cars. Uh, we don't have a photo which we can present uh, for this uh, year. So we don't show all of the uh, cars. Yeah, but um, again, uh, I just also want to, to say, um, uh, to, to come back to Ferrari and say, well, uh, you, you, you yeah. see that Ferrari doesn't have the cigarette, uh, um, uh, like the prevalence of the cigarette, yes. cigarette advertisement. And that's because, uh, you know, as Patrick explained to us in the, in the special, about Enzo Ferrari. So Enzo Ferrari passed yeah. away in 1988, and this is we're still in 1989. And uh, as we know, he said that my cars don't, don't smoke, and he was really <laughs> against putting any, well, going into partnership with, with any um, cigarette company. That, of course, changed after his death, but yes. at least... Uh, when he was uh, when he was there, uh, we didn't see um, we didn't see advertisement of cigarettes on Ferrari. Correct. And uh, beginning of the eighties, I mean, it was uh, still quite common, uh, even that uh, Formula One drivers uh, had been uh, smoking. Uh, uh, team uh, the team managers, uh, of course. So a lot of most of the people maybe uh, you may say inside the sport have been smokers in opposite to um, Enzo, <laughs> Enzo Ferrari who also was a non-smoker in the uh, early 80s so uh, a little bit also a decision based on his uh, personal um, uh, values and of course uh, to be honest Ferrari was a team which uh, hadn't had the need uh, for sponsor money that urgent as the other team. So it was, of course, uh, much easier for them to decline the money from big uh, tobacco. Yeah, and I also want to say that this uh, photo that Patrick is showing you uh, now um, uh, is actually Gilles Verneuf's uh, car. <laughs> and, uh, yep. Again, coming back to 
to the Monaco race, you definitely should watch the Monaco race for 1991. <laughs> really cool race. Great. Yeah, so you have some homework. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. So uh, let's talk about uh, the people because we still haven't uh, told you who won the championship. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious. But... <laughs> it's, but in fact, it's not pretty obvious. Well, I <laughs> mean, I kind of, I kind of, I think gave it away when I said Nelson Piquet was like, uh, you know, the this in this run of right. German, it, Austrian, uh, Austrian, Dutch right. uh, Grand right. Prix. Uh, uh, when you had like first, third, second, uh, you could probably guess that he was, uh, he was pretty, uh, right. so, pretty high up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so right. If you have listened uh, between uh, the lines, uh, you uh, understood it. But let's say pure, purely on the points, there was only one point uh, difference, and uh, uh, relevant here was the points from the last uh, um, Grand Prix because uh, Carlos Reutemann uh, was uh, leading the championship until Canada, but unfortunately, as he didn't score any points in the U.S., uh, Nelson Piquet, Piquet could over take him in the last uh, race and due to this Nelson Piquet uh, got the championship and you may argue uh, of course uh, 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 that this also not only had been based on Piquet's talent but uh, also on team strategy as Brabham focused on this one driver while in Williams we had a quite a rivalry between uh, Reutemann and uh, Alan Jones and this, uh, for example, interesting also this statistic, you see that many times uh, Carlos Reitemann or Alan Jones uh, had uh, scored uh, more points than uh, Nelson uh, Piquet. But as uh, there have been this internal rivalry and no team uh, orders or no effective team orders, um, neither Carlos Reutemann nor Alan Jones got the, the points to win the championship, even if they had been very close. Yeah, I mean, um, I think really the, uh, it was a strategic uh, mistake on the, uh, on, on, on the part of Williams because um, they probably should have concentrated on Carlos Reutemann's car uh, going yeah. into this uh, Caesar Palace uh, race. So, but I think uh, they got a little bit uh, too relaxed considering that they won the constructors by that yes. time. So, so perhaps it just uh, had something to do with that. And um, notice uh, this is why it's so interesting uh, uh, when we look at the difference between constructor championship and the driver championship, right? So the constructor uh, championship does not necessarily coincide with the driver championship and this yeah. is why it makes it such a such such a cool sport to uh, to follow and uh, yeah but like my uh, my interpretation of this is just uh, basically williams team screwed up here they they should have put in more like more more, more eggs into the basket of the leading driver yep. Um, uh, because, you know, even with the win of Alan Jones, it was, uh, uh, you know, it, it was kind of predictable that, uh, you know, if, if Nelson Piquet scored any, any points, which he, he, you know, he wasn't in the top three in, in the U.S., mm -hmm. but still got a few points. So, um, you know, so Alan Jones, it was quite difficult to catch up with him while Carlos Reutemann could have won the season. 
Yeah, uh, but what I say, uh, maybe from a William's point of view, it was uh, quite uh, non-predictable that uh, Reutemann should have uh, so many problems in the second uh, half of the season. I mean, if you just see the last four uh, races, uh, three, three out of four races, he had zero points, just got uh, four points in Italy. So maybe that didn't uh, predict such an um, um, unhappy outcome for Reutemann regarding points. Yeah, but I still think like uh, kind of going into the last race, it was yeah, they, they knew the the point the the point totals, so yes, I think they should have you know like I I personally would have uh, yeah. put the emphasis on the driver who is more likely to score for them, yep. um, to score a championship for them. So yeah, I mean it's not still not a. a um, and not an obvious strategy for me why why this was kind of the, the last race played out the way it did. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I mean, uh, so here we have just three people we have been talking about. Uh, yeah, same three as we had last year, <laughs> right. but in different in different order. <laughs> Right, and, and uh, just what I wanted mm -hmm. also to mention, uh, both Carlos Reutemann and uh, Alan Jones, uh, relatively older than Nelson Piquet, and both of them uh, would retire after uh, this year, so also a change of uh, generation. Yeah, that's right, and um, this is a little bit a shame for Williams, who kind of lost uh, two top drivers in the same year. Yeah. Uh, but uh, at the same time, yeah, it was, uh, as we will see in the next season, I'm not going to spoil the intrigue. <laughs> Who is going to drive for Williams in 1982? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can, you can, I'm sure, look it, look it up. But uh, it's, it's also an interesting combination that they will come up with, as we will see. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Then uh, the next uh, positions, uh, Jack Lafitte, uh, Ligi, Alan Prost uh, for Renault and uh, John Watson uh, for McLaren. Yeah, again, also, remarkable. Yeah, again, remarkable season for Alan Prost. Uh, yeah, we, we should uh, uh, say that. And um, as we are going into 1980s, 1990s, of course, we will talk about Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost. And, uh, yeah. Uh, but this is uh, absolutely, yeah, I think very successful year for Alan Prost as a, as a, as a year of his debut in uh, Formula One. Uh, absolutely remarkable, yeah. And then uh, Chilvinov for Ferrari, De Angelis for Lotus, and uh, René Anou with the second of the Renaults. Okay, yep. that's that's uh, the drivers speaking again, as always, about behavior. Yeah, uh, I mean, um, of course, I think we already sort of mentioned all the yeah. all the notable characters. Um, definitely, again, uh, uh, I will mention Alan Prost here, and um, yeah, Gilles Villeneuve, of course, and. Uh, uh, and uh, the the duo of drivers from uh, Williams, right? So Alan Jones and uh, Ross Reutemann. Uh, so yeah, 
this could be probably the characters. Um, <clears throat> probably also Frank Williams <laughs> should yeah. be on the list. Um, notable wins again for me, it's uh, Gilles Verneuve and Monaco. Um, maybe other mm -hmm. people probably would disagree, but uh, still very uh, uh, remarkable race. Um, <clears throat> yeah, again, not sure about notable accidents. Uh, we've mentioned quite a few, mm -hmm. quite, a, quite a few, um, you know, fatal uh, incidents for mechanics and uh, yeah those are like i think all I, i'm not sure whether we can pick one yeah i agree with you and uh, the notable strategies uh as we discussed, notable failures uh, in strategy i would say <laughs> or, or notable failures notable or, failures or, from lotus uh, right and, Notable failure from uh, Williams, yep. uh, definitely. Um, and yeah. uh, but on the good, uh, on the positive side, of course, uh, the strategy at Brabham uh, completely worked out because maybe they didn't had the strongest uh, car in, in direct uh, comparison with the Williams, but with focusing on uh, the highly talented Nelson Piquet as uh, their number one driver. I mean, perfectly worked out with one point difference. Yeah, a lot of interesting strategies that year and, you know, also with turbo engines and, um, you know, experimentation. Yeah, definitely quite a few, quite a few teams could be mentioned here. <laughs> That's right. This will be tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do uh, you think? I mean, uh, I, I <laughs> How mean, would uh, we describe? We... Uh, uh, yeah, for those of uh, people who cannot yeah. see what's written on the screen, how would we describe the 1981 season in one phrase? I don't know in one phrase, but uh, uh, I think it, it uh, it's the year where it becomes clear that uh, Turbo is the way to go. As it's more and more uh, changing from the traditional uh, engine to the turbo engine. Yeah, I would say that this is also uh, a year of competitive innovation because we have such yeah. a heterogeneity in engines and strategy and constructors have different uh, ideas about cars. So probably, uh, yeah, the year of innovation, I'd say. Okay, that's all for today. Yes, and again, uh, as a reminder, we are present in video format on YouTube and Spotify and in audio format on a lot of different platforms. Thanks, Patrick, and uh, thank you all for watching. And as usual, we do not, uh, we're not going to pretend that we know it all. So if we missed something, let us know. Um, if you want to add something to what we said, we will also be very interested in that. Thanks a lot. Of and course. See you next time. See you next time.